Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. On this episode, Tom is joined by Patrick DeVries, owner and founder of DeVries Inc. based in Spokane, Washington. He describes how he started with a record storage service and then grew steadily with the addition of courier and delivery services, then shredding services, and then the warehouse services that have grown his business over the years. Patrick DeVries, welcome to the Shred Coach Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here with you. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you. So so for anyone who doesn't know you, although I assume a lot of people do, can you give me an overview of the company that you own and run, where you're located, where you serve, and the services you offer? Let, let's start with an, a sense of, of you know what the current business looks like. Okay, sure. Yeah, well, my name's Pat DeVries, and I'm here in Spokane, Washington, you know, on the east side of the state near Idaho uh, State Line. We own a full-service record storage company. We started in the mid-80s, and now we're here still providing service to our clients and worked at it. You know, my wife and I, a couple of our kids and, you know, team of about 40 of us here at DeVries. Wow. You've got 40 staff members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So, so give me a sense of the range of the services you offer. Like you said, a full service record storage company, but what's that entail? What, what are all the services DeVries is providing? So sure. Yeah. I really reach back to the time I spent in the moving and storage business with my family and, you know, like a lot in the records business that's kind of where some of us came from. And so really started with the document storage management services in the mid eighties, actually by the mid nineties, I left the moving company and was gifted the record storage business on my way out the door. Really kind of out of a desire to do my own thing and kind of break away from the family business thought that might be a good avenue to pursue. Well, you know, and, and so we still do record storage and that's really what we led with when we developed the company. And I'm not in the largest market in the, in the country, but it's been slow and steady growth with a lot of great clients. Shortly after that, with the document business, we entered the courier delivery services business. Clients hmm. need records transported around and and I saw some opportunities there with clients needing that kind of service. And, you know, at the time we had a van, so I thought, well, we could deliver more. And so we developed the courier business in, in, in the mid nineties, right after starting the record storage on my own. And we ran that we still do. And then in really the early two thousands, we entered the shredding business, you know, and I guess 2000 was a pivotal time with, you know, the focus on destruction services uh, and shredding documents at the right time for the right reasons with scandals like Enron and, and right. other things that people may remember. So, you know, having a kind of a nice list of record storage clients, you know, I realized, well, they're, they're in the very same category and need the same type of service. And so we, uh, we had a little small office shredder and did a number of things to shred paper for a couple of years and destroy it properly. And then in 2000, actually our first shredding truck, uh, was a 2006. And so I guess okay. you, that's the start of the official mobile shredding services we provided or do provide, and then kind of went at it that way. And what I realized right away was you had the benefit of, of existing clients to offer the service to. So that gave us a, a lot of traction because I think anybody in record storage knows it's a very long sales cycle. And we really struggled in, in that sense to try to bring on storage clients and, and activity in the company, but it was a snail's pace. You know, maybe it's me, my sales expertise right. or my market size. 
and that sort of thing, but it, and competition. So it grew real slowly. And when we added the shredding services, it was like, you're the popcorn vendor at the baseball game. I mean, everybody's, you know, we could sell that service and, and we, yeah. could, we could really expand our, our client base. So instead of, you know, small number, you know, we've grown to just, just thousands of clients and we've expanded the, with the shredding, with the help of the shredding business, we've been able to expand our service range and we serve all of Eastern Washington, North Idaho, and then even parts of Oregon, Northeast Oregon. Wow. So, uh, you know, if you look at Idaho, it's separated pretty well by the Snake River and geographically North and South Idaho don't really do commerce together so much. So, so we're pretty close to that. So we offer all those services and, you know, uh, along the way too, we, you know, we need things in our warehouse and if we couldn't put records in there, we're pretty open-minded about, you know, storing other, other things. And so we now have developed, you know, some pretty good warehouse and logistics services for clients that may also shred with us, or they may also, you know, store records for them. So we really developed a lot of synergy around our client base to, you know, sell them other stuff, you know, established ourselves with, you know, high levels of service, uh, and nicely in our industry with the background checks and the secure environment that we operate in, it, it really fuels the delivery services side because you know, we have a lot of clients that are equally concerned about privacy and, and control of the materials. And so we're very appealing to those guys. And, you know, one of our courier clients is the county elections office, you know, so, mm. and we have mail-in voting in Washington state. So go somebody has to go to the post office and get the ballots and take them to the elections office. And, you know, when we can hold up our, our standing with, you know, the kind of staff we employ. You know, we're not just Joe's courier, we're really a, a secure courier business. And so we right. can use those tools to really grow that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That, that addition of the courier business, going back to the document storage, I mean, so many in the document storage industry added shredding first, the, the, the addition of the courier service is an interesting diversion mm -hmm. uh, from sort of the standard, you know, moving and storage company to record storage. But that addition of the courier thing seems kind of interesting. And now full circle to where you are today, that coming back and saying with the, the, like the certifications that you possess from, you know, the I Sigma umbrella now become really valuable to the courier business, which right. I, I think is such a cool full circle moment. Well, we really, you know, you think about, uh, anything hamburgers, you know, fast food or any of those things, you know, what really, you know, I always think about, you know, what's going to make me different or more, more attractive to a client and being a courier company sounds pretty vanilla. And, you know, I think we've talked in the past that, you know, I'm not super hardcore in selling the courier services, but I have, we added one the other day, it's a title company or, you know, doing some title work and, and they like to know that it's not some guy in a van. And so, right. So we're really, uh, I guess you look at it, it could probably be bigger. It could be whatever. And I could bring on a variety of clients, but we've kind of stuck to that mode there. That's pretty quality. So we have now, you know, seven or eight routes a day. They come in, they sort their freight and, and go out and deliver their stuff all day. And so, you know, what I like about it is, you know, added service to an existing client. So now I'm twice as hard to fire and the branding that goes on. I mean, I just, I kind of makes me uh, self-conscious to think, you know, I named the company after my last name, which, you know, sound 
it was pretty easy to figure out at the time. And I couldn't come up with, with something better. I go, well, we'll just call it DeVries. The moving company I was with was DeVries Moving. So we went with that and we're DeVries. Well, you know, now here we are 30 some years later and, you know, it's with our vehicles and the courier and everything else. Our name's all over the place. So we're really bright right. and well. And, you know, and my mother, she's 92 and she just loves it. She gets calls all the time from her friends that say, hey, you know, I saw your truck and I, or I dropped some stuff off at your son's business and, you know, tell you that is, you know, so talk about being the brand, you know, and, and now I'm older now and clients are, they're surprised there's a DeVries or DeVries, how they pronounce it around, but it's a really, it's remarkable, but I, I guess a lot of it is to me, it's recognizing your market and your competitors and how you can flourish and, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm in a, in a community that's not gigantic. I have worthy competition, but you can kind of get connected to everyone in a, in a community of a certain size. And, and I've spent time in bigger cities and, and, you know, I'm just grateful to know the magic in this community and what it takes to acquire and keep those relationships going. And so I really like the diversity and I was going to say that the courier business is, you know, we led with that after getting going with the record stores because frankly, I like it. And yeah. we, we had pretty good courier operations in a, in a former situation. And so I'm like right away going, wow, I could see that, you know, and, and I could see clients had a better, a need greater than what they were getting done. And so, uh, yeah, we went out and chased that down and, and it, and it just keeps working. So that's been fun. And then shredding was a no brainer because it was starting right. to happen. It was just trying to figure out how to stomach the cost of a quarter of a million dollar shredding truck. Cause that seemed like the way to go. You know, you gotta have a truck, you know, go mobile like, and it's still very dominant. But since then we've added plant services. So we have a big, you know, shredder in the warehouse and, and our baler and all those things. And, you know, with the, with the mobile operation going strong then and a record center, and it just gives you the flexibility you really need to be successful. And so that's been tremendous. And, you know, so, so we're probably, it's kind of funny. I, I knew when I had one or two trucks, how many I had, and I, I just right. sold one and I bought one, but I think we have seven right now. Okay. Uh, so you've got seven trucks and then you've got a whole plant operation. So yes. it's, no, that's, that's so cool. So, so I, I, as you're telling all the different facets there, it feels like you're like the DeVries octopus company. And it's like, you've got all these legs out in the community and right. one leg grabs them because that's the service they need. And then you hit them on the back end with, oh, by the way, we do record storage shredding, yes. you know, or whatever, warehousing, all of the different things that you do. It's, it's a really kind of cool where, where so many companies in this industry are focused on the one thing, but. It's really interesting to watch someone like you, who's, who's really built an octopus business, has all these legs. And uh, I think one time many years ago, I think it might've been on the other podcast, you talked about saying yes to pretty much anything that walked in the door. You would just mm -hmm. say yes, and we'll figure this one out. We'll do it. We'll, we'll figure out how to work with you. So it's a really interesting approach to take. It doesn't work for everyone. Like you said, in big cities. It may not be a great strategy, but in a small market like you're in, it becomes this powerful dominant thing that just elevates your brand, elevates your connections, elevates your capacity to serve a small market with a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's really cool to hear. 
So let, let's dig in a little bit, sort of post-2006 in terms of, because this is the Shred Coach podcast, so it's, it, we, I want to focus a little bit more. I, I understand the implications of all the parts of the business, but what have been some of those important lessons or insights you've learned? And it comes from the full business, but related to building and growing and developing the shredding business in your type of market. What, what are some of the things you've learned? You, if you're at seven trucks, you got a full plant shredder. You got a lot of stuff going on from a shred perspective. What are some of the things you've learned along the way? I think one of the great lessons I've learned is to keep me, the owner, out of some of the pricing situations. And, you know, I'm, I'm the desperate owner that needs to pay the bills. And, and I'm desperate about adding customers and growing our company and, and, and doing all of that. And, and, and it's really important. And I've learned over time that really... I am, I'm the, the motivator of business. I do everything I can to connect in the community and, and, you know, express to everyone how great we are and our relationships. But when opportunity comes in the door that needs, you know, math problems solved or, you know, needs to be calculated and understood, I really don't do that. And I've found over time that the pricing is a lot better if I'm not involved. I support and I consult and I talk about it all a lot and all that. But I don't know that owners sometimes have the courage necessary to communicate the right price at the right time and, and, and be really feel really comfortable about it. And I can look back in our shredding business that the shredding business is, is a good example of, you know, overgrowing yourself or being too anxious for business and you can really mess yourself up in the long term. I think that's in terms of, you know, pricing. I've got a, you know, a few hairy examples of going in, getting a hospital, containers all over the place at an extremely, you know, low price at the time. And we've spent the entire past 20 years trying to get it up to where we would really like it and be happy about it. Well, so there you are, flash forward to 2023, some of the hospitals are in major financial trouble. You know, the visiting nurses, the COVID thing, you know, shortage of workers, everything that's going on. And so this hap the situation then is whatever you're charging them is still too much because you've schooled them on that price. And so they're now coming to us, we're working through it and it's just going to be great. But, you know, as far as rate increases goes, I mean, it's like really off the table. And I'm still not where I really should be. And, but they've only experienced the price we've given them. So they're going, right. Hey, how can we get more efficient? I'm like, Oh man, I got nowhere to go. And so, you know, you live with a low price for a long time, you know, and, and I've had competitors that were extremely low priced. Well, you have to walk away, but you can't school them to where you need to get, you know, if they, they're going, nah, this guy's cheap. It's just great. So the lessons are. You know, go in, have the courage and confidence that you need. And, you know, if it's somebody else that needs to do the selling, you know, hire them and do that. But I've, I think the other lesson is, if, you know, I don't know if there's as many new entries in the shredding business and, you know, we've all gone at it different ways. I'm fortunate because one of the manufacturers is in Spokane, Washington. So when I have to buy a truck or fix a truck, I'm pretty much, you know, going with those guys and they're close by. And so I have a lot of benefit because of that. But I also bought a truck, you know, our first truck, I will, let's get one that has the capacity to get the job done, not based on today's volume, but based on the volume. 
that truck needs to be designed for. So I didn't buy a starter truck. I didn't buy, you know, a clunky truck. I bought a brand new truck. And, you know, I had to really wrangle my bank at the time to, to get it financed. And, you know, I think about that in 2006 and I threatened to leave the bank. I threatened to finance it with a different bank. I, I, it was all I could do to get that thing financed. Now I can just go buy, you know I mean? And right. payment right. of truck payments. Right. So buy the equipment necessary to do the job is, is mm, such a, such a good point. Such a good way. And I'm going to go back and I, I want to amplify your first lesson. Cause I think it's brilliant. I've never heard anyone say it in this way before, which is as an owner, I'm tempted to undersell the position because of my own sense of desperation, having to pay people. I love, I love the way you've, you phrase that because, um, so often it's true as owners, we tend to we tend to feel like we're, if we don't get this client, we're going to lose them. But what you've said, because you have su- had had such a long runway, is if you went in too low, it took you years to actually get it back to the place where you're actually making the money you should have in the first place. Mm-hmm. And such, I think it's such a powerful perspective and it takes courage, like you said, to get somebody else to sell. Because a lot of times we think we're the best salespeople in right. our businesses too. And so, yeah, we're the best salespeople, but we, we don't often do a good job of asking for the premium price. Whereas a salesperson realizes they have no option. It's like when you go to a car dealer, you know, that sales rep still has to go and get approval, but they're the one delivering the message. It's not the owner of the car dealership. That's right. He'd probably go, oh, take the car for this. I'm making, yeah, Yeah. whatever. So it's it's such an interesting point that I've never heard anyone explain that way. Yeah. And I've, I guess from suffering through those things is, you know, it's been more clear to me and I'm, yeah, I'm just, I have to be the, the face of the company. And, you know, I was at a breakfast meeting this morning, you know, and it's all, Hey, you know, good time. You know, you're, you're really, I guess, PR public, you know, your public relations yep. work and all of that doesn't necessarily translate, translate well, but I can really coach my team internally then. Right. Here's where we need to be, what we need to do. And, you know, it's a, I have a son and daughter in the business and, and they actually both quote a lot of our work and they tell me, and I'm like, gee, you're kidding. Really? I mean, like they go for that. I mean, and, but they're very professional. They, they yeah. pack a lot of good yeah. value yeah. in it and all those things. And, uh, it's, it's really tremendous. We had a career opportunity with the title company I mentioned a few minutes ago and historically, cause I know the, the owner of the title company and he's realized a while back that we have that, that business and he's having this ongoing service with another company. He doesn't really uh, like that well. So he meets, you know, we had coffee and we're, I didn't know what he was wanting to have coffee about. I mean, we had coffee and we talked, he goes, Hey, tell me about your career business, which, which I did. And so like, yeah, I don't know, send me some information. So he sent me six months worth of courier invoices, which I didn't really ask for, but that was very helpful. And then I turned it over to my daughter who, who took care of it. And, you know, and I look at that, I mean, I would have been just so weak on the presentation of the material, but she, she goes at it. She gives them all the service agreements and all the information and understands the schedule and works with our courier supervisor for the scheduling, you know, how it fits into the landscape, figures it all out, sends them the quote, like, Again, on the price, I'm like, hey, sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, love it. And then, yeah. you know, and she pulls it off. So, and that's, that's where we should be. And, you know, I, you know, I need to, like, it's dumb, but I need to work on other things and work on the company stuff. I can't do that. And it took me a long time to figure that out a little bit. But so, you know, that, and, you know, we use our, our team, our drivers, our, our, you know, shred truck drivers. And, you know, they're usually pretty busy and they aren't your salespeople, but they, 
they present well, never say no, you know, and, and that, and they do a great job, but the courier guys and our commercial services group, they're in office space, they're all over. So they do a lot of lead development for us internally. And then we follow up on it. And, and because, you know, if you're going to have a, a service provided, you, I like to do it with somebody I like and, right. and, right. and, and it kind of works in our market. You know? Yeah. So good. So good. Well, th those are two really valuable lessons. I'm, I'm just going to dig into one more question that, that I'm asking for maybe an insider lesson, but you have trucks and then you go get a plant and you add a plant operation to this. What, what did you learn through that process or any insights come out of that process? Cause now you've had it for a while. Um, but you're running, you're running shred trucks, then you build a plant. Anything you learned in that process that would be helpful to say a newbie, somebody, somebody who's maybe reached three or four trucks and is thinking about a plant, anything you've got from that specific time. So, yeah, that was interesting too. I think a couple of things I should have done it sooner, you know, but you're know, running mm -hmm. the trucks and we have a lot of, you know, we're kind of near the downtown in our area. And, and so we're, and our facilities set up nice and we have a lot of drop-off customers. So they drop off material, you know, and you meet, meet new customers that way as well. And, you know, we, so we have a pretty robust drop-off business and we were collected it. And when one of the trucks was around, we would use the truck and shred the material. And that was great. It sounded great. We have all this extra paper to shred. And that kind of grew out of control in terms of the schedules and that. And so we, uh, you know, I've vacillated for a long time. It was interesting, but I didn't buy new equipment, but I bought a nice, you know, a rebuild, nice shredder, you know, a lot of horsepower. And we already had the baler. So we bolted that down and put it to work. And, you know, I just look back and think I should have done that, you know, like $100,000 in truck repair bills sooner right. because you're wearing out those trucks and, and not, but you're using those trucks and yep. there's yep. such a monster to begin yep. with that, you know, the plant really took way more heat off that fleet than I ever imagined. Mm. And, and so we'll get clients call up, they go, yeah, we got, you know, like a purge or whatever. Sometimes we'll go, and go, Hey, you know, we've got this to do. And, and we just, we don't push it, but they'll go, I don't care. We just need to get them out of here. Well, should we just pick right. them up and bring them home then? And, you know, so we can do, do a lot of that. So we're plant certified as well as the, the trucks, yep. but for the return on the dollar, I mean, the plant was the answer and. You know, and, and so I don't know what's out there equipment wise, but it, you know, it's all, all a challenge. And, and I think, you know, some of the things we've done, I've taken a long time to consider, you know, and you, you go, gosh, should have done that last year. I should have done that sooner. Yeah. Getting yeah. into the whole mobile business took me longer than, than maybe I thought it would, but I don't know. I think it's balanced against making a good judgment. You don't want, you don't want to go upside down on anything either. And so, well, and that, that's, that's the advantage of sort of having lots of, lots of years, but not feeling like there's this big rush. Uh, one of my mentors has said most entrepreneurs problems is, is not their goals, but their timelines. They put too rigorous a timeline mm -hmm. on a result, but if you've got timeline to get somewhere, you, you, sure you have this ability to kind of grow into the next iteration of your business. And, and that's, what's kind of cool. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, like as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur, I certainly wanted to go do my own thing on my own terms and, you know, left the family business to do that. My number one goal was grow a good company that would, you know, pay my way, you know, and, and right. do that, but right. I wanted to remain independent. And so yeah. 
you know, everything we've done, we've bootstrapped our way forward and, and have expanded and bought buildings and done other things with, you know, the bank's help and, and the company's benefits of the company itself. Yeah. And, and here I am now older in the business and, and seasoned, but I couldn't be more grateful that I made that decision and I stuck with it because yeah. the comfort of like the family moving business, I was a one third owner with my dad and brother. That was great on the going inside. The reality was I'm a one third owner. And so I couldn't right. launch things, could control yeah. direction, all those matters. And so everything's a great lesson. And so I think that's really been, you know, payback on that decision to, to, to go it solo and, you know, tempers your growth when you're having to pay for it out of pocket. <laughs> let, let me switch angles a little bit here. I know over the, uh, the last number of years, you've been a significant, you've been significantly involved, not just as a member, but as a leader in the iSigma community. How, how has that, how has that involvement, investment on your part benefited you, benefited how you think about business, benefited your own company, uh, your role as a CEO. Just just give me a, a, a small, brief window in what that's done for you. I recognize that I, I've been in the business quite a while and, and for the first decade or so, I couldn't afford to send myself anywhere. You know, I couldn't afford to go to conferences. They had a regional conferences I could afford to attend, but I could never go to the conference, you know, the back then would be PRISM. And then, and they too, but when I could finally like pay the bill to go to a conference, that really was, was cool to go do that. And so a little bit later over time, you know, as I met, I got to know people and, and probably my oldest friend in the whole entire industry is Steve Richards. And I met Steve in Texas at a midwinter conference for ACRC because I couldn't afford the full season conference. So I met him there and I've known him all those years and, and he's inspiring. And, you know, and helpful in a lot of ways. And so we were at a conference and first I asked Bob Johnson, how would I get more involved in, in, in Nate at the time? And I didn't know him too well. And I was kind of, I wanted to be sort of known in the industry, I guess, you know, connect yeah. and, and learn things. So he goes, oh, get on the public relations committee. I think it was, so I served on that and I served on that at PRISM and, you know, and, and, you know, and then Steve, when Steve was president, he appointed me to a vacated board seat you know, which is nothing better than an appointment. And then when you run, you've already, you know, you're kind of getting known. So I hand it to Steve to, to, you know, be great, great, graceful and, and, and help me get connected on the board. So I did several years on the board and served with such great people and have made some fast friends through that process and, um, really enjoyed it. And, and I served a term as president. No one may know that because my entire term was virtual and we canceled two During COVID of all yeah. times, but it was a highly influential time in the life of the association. Yeah. It was during sort of the, the, the post-merger integration right. of PRISM and Aid and I Sigma, and there was a lot happening. And while it may have been sort of a quiet, quiet period in terms of not, oh, yeah. you weren't publicly in front of people behind the scenes there, you were doing a lot of, lot of work at that time. I know because I helped facilitate the whole merger. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a really big role you played. And so from, from the association and from all the members, even if they never said this to you, I'll say it publicly. Thank you for all the work you did during that time. Cause I know and saw how much work you did during that time. It was a lot of work. I and mean, yeah, what I missed was canceled two conferences, didn't get to say hi or bye really, but right. you know, the, 
yeah, we were like ducks on the water, you know, our feet were moving pretty fast. And, and so I, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful again, I'm grateful for a lot of things, but I think that you know, those relationships and those connections have kind of answered your questions. They've really fueled me and fueled my business because, yes. you know, I had additional time outside of a conference. I mean, you just think about the networking we do at a conference and hanging around and the conference is coming up next week. So we're all pretty excited to be back in front of each other and swap our ideas and thrills and spills of it all. But I, the board just did that on steroids for me. And I just felt like I became really part of the industry and being an independent operator like I am. I mean, I think it just, and I'm out here in Spokane, so I don't know, but it just gave me the confidence I needed as well. Being elected so I was the first, we went through the transition board, like you said, and we, we did all of that. We had the combined board going through the transition of the merger. Angie and Christopher Jones were co-presidents in the first year of the merged organization. Then I was the first elected president, even though I ran unopposed. It's a nice to be the first. And uh, right. so I served my term and then past president. Then as past president was when Bob Johnson announced his retirement. And so- right. They were kind enough to appoint me chair of the uh, succession planning committee. So, you know, it wasn't a real just hang around as a past president. No, no, you didn't. You didn't sit high on the like sort of the yeah. the pedestal of being the post president. You had a lot of work to do. So, oh, yeah. no, it's 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 really quite impressive the work you did. And uh, I just want to thank you again for all the things you contributed to the the greater community as a result. Final question as we end our conversation, sure. gonna, and I'm going completely off the rails here, but rumor has it you're a pretty intense athlete. And I, I know that, you know, you only look like you're 52 or 51, maybe if you're lucky, but um, you. <laughs> you might be a few years older than that, but you apparently jump out of helicopters on the toughest ski hills in the world and you mountain bike like a maniac. So, um, I'm just going to say that because I know that about you, but the question I have for you is how has your athletic pursuit, specifically around skiing and mountain biking, which I know are your two passions, how has that informed your role as a CEO, as a business person? What, what, what has that done for you? What's, what's it do for you? How's it help you think? Like, give me any sense that comes out of that for you. Yeah. Um, the skiing is, yeah, I've been passionate about that since I was nine years old. And my friend who moved here from California actually had a big yard and we learned how to ski in his backyard. Nobody in my family skied. And I just like, like young kids do when they are exposed to snowboarding, snow skiing, you're like, it's pretty easy to get addicted to it. And so I did that. And then out of a desire to stay in shape because you can ski better if you're in shape. And so I've been just really, I wouldn't say motivated, but driven to stay fit year round so that when ski season arrives, I'm not complaining about my back or my calves or, or whatever, because it's, it's excruciatingly, you know, it's, it's difficult if, and I'm a good skier, of course, after all those years, but so I want to ski at that same level, you know, I, I, I got to admit, it's getting a little harder to ski at the level I want to, as I get older, but I really enjoy it and skiing it's different than a lot of things because it doesn't give me what mountain biking does. It gives me, I think that time to think and, and consider like, like you hear about, you know, jogging or, or reading a book or, you know, walk in the park or something where you can just be more cons considerate of things. Skiing, you're trying not to run into a tree, you know, and, and, right. and, and all of that. So 
it's another, it's a level of exhilaration and it's a family fun for us. And, and we, my kids and, you know, we were up last weekend, we go up skiing, we ride up together, we ride home together and they're adult children now. I mean, we were kidding. I go like, I didn't hang out with my parents, you know, we, yeah. we cleaned the garage and we did that sort of stuff. So <laughs> we, we developed this family thing doing that. And then, yeah. And then the mountain biking. You know, I've done some long distance rides. I've actually ridden my bike from Canada down to Wyoming on, you know, in segments. And it's, it's crazy, but that riding, 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 or especially when you're going uphill two and a half miles an hour for four hours, gives you a lot of time to think about the world and, and your place in it and, and ideas. And it's so stupid, but sometimes I, God, I need a notepad because there's things I've forgotten that I think about when I'm riding, like some motivating thing or some experiment to do at work to make it run better. And I, ah, oh, crap, forgot about that. Oh, you know, and, but it, it's the balance in my life that I love. And so I would tell you that I'm leaving here next Thursday with my wife. We're going to ski our way to Las Vegas for the conference. So, wow. uh, so we're going to stop at a couple spots along the way and, and then, you know, go to the conference and then drive back home. And so, you know, I've just always tried to weave that into my, my life is to get away, go to the beach for a few days, you know, kind of thing, or go on vacation, but we're up in Canada. I've been in Canada three times. Just we went up, went skiing up there, spent you know a couple of nights in a small ski town. I mean, it's just it's glorious, just glorious. Yeah. And so yeah. I really I get a lot out of it. That motivates me to to do the rest of my stuff, you know. And and yeah, and so yeah. Well, that's well, really cool because because one of the things I I sense and see in you is because you are so I, I'm going to say this word with caution, but religious about skiing and, and cycling that what it gives to you that, that so few, what I see a lot of people struggle with is it gives you this, this relief valve. And I, I know you're chill by nature, but I, I think watching you over the years, I feel like that, that, that work that you do, that grinding you do on your mountain bike or the just going offline and jumping off of a helicopter on hard mountains and skiing for, you yeah. know, that, that does something to your spirit in a way. And I, right. I don't know what it is with you, but you've got this je ne sais quoi, as my friends in, in Canada would say, or, or France, you've got that certain, whatever that is, that's just relaxed and chill about it all. And I feel like that comes from being on the mountain somehow. I think a lot of it does. There's, you know, there's times that, everywhere skiing, mountain biking. It's like that beautiful walk in the park or along the river when you're just enjoying the the water going over the falls or something and and that. And I I look forward to being tired on a ride so I can pull over and sit on a rock and just sort of chill out for a minute. And I think it gives me a good balance. I'm you know, I'm not a giant partier, you know, I can drink drink beer, I'm trying to drink less. But, you know, it's uh you know, my dad was, he loved work. He worked seven days a week on Saturday and Sunday. He'd go out and, you know, stack pallets and do work type things, you know, which as a kid, you're like, that is so crazy. And so, you know, over time, I certainly have acquired his dedication to work and production and, and, and all of those things. But man, I just wasn't going to do it unless I could balance these activities. And so it's just the best slide feels like yeah. and you know it's what we make it not what happens to us and you know all those things you hear about but i i couldn't be can be happier like yeah you mentioned helicopters a couple of times and it's yeah it's insane it's insanely expensive i've done it a few times but 
Yeah. <laughs> you just fly up, land on some remote mountain and ski down. And then if you ever look at helicopter skiing videos and you, you enjoy powder snow, I mean, uh, there's just nothing like it, but it's, yeah. you know, it's kind of hairy, you know, and, yeah. and that, but yeah, I wanted to go this year, but I, I bought a new car instead. So I'm stuck. <laughs> Well, Patrick, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I feel like there's been some real gold in this conversation that that people listening will take from you. You've you've been a long time. You've been in this game a long time. And I, I always, having watched you over the years, it's really cool to see where you've been and where you've come to and uh, where you are now. And thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for your investment in the industry and really appreciate you being on the show today. Tom, thank you. I appreciate it. I've known you a long time as well. And you're an ins- another one of my inspirations in the, the world of everything. And appreciate it. And I appreciate being here. Thanks again for listening to the Shred Coach Podcast with Tom Adams. Make sure to visit TomAdams.com for executive coaching, advisory board services, podcasting, training, and more. And subscribe to our email list so you can have first access to brand new strategies, tips, and ideas from trusted shredding and business professionals.